Gracious God, we pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that you would remind us often of your love, because we so often get it wrong. For those who are brokenhearted and despondent, and despair or distress, broken by grief, or suffering under sickness, we ask that your grace would extend to them, and that they would see you in new light. Father, for us to focus on sin means for us to see the greatness of all that you have done. We don't accentuate sin in order to pretend that we, we're very different now than we were. For the same sin in us still resides. We focus on sin to remind ourselves of your greatness. That when we can't do anything for ourselves, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. You will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so together we come before you asking that your grace would extend to us once again. And we pray this for your honor and for your glory. Amen. So if you put your Bibles, Psalm 107, it would be really useful if you keep your Bibles open there. I will show you slides uh, just to highlight a couple of things as we go through the psalm. But it's important to understand a little bit about what the psalm means. So we sung Psalm 107, and I'm glad that they, they applied it appropriately. Because sometimes we just jump into a psalm and we say, okay, that sounds like me, I'll pray the whole psalm. But it's important to understand a little bit of the context of Psalm 107, and that's why we're going to look at it in a little bit more detail. So thanks, Kurt, for preaching on, on the disciples in the sea last week. I, I somehow feel that I should have come before you, but you got in first, so that's one of those things. Get onto the podcast if you haven't heard the sermon from last week and listen to it, because that's the culmination of the psalm. As we get into this particular psalm, we, we do realize a number of things about it. Um, firstly, that it's the beginning of the, the fifth book of Psalms. So if, uh, the fifth book in Psalms. So if you didn't know anything about Psalms, let me just tell you that the Psalms are divided into five different books. All right, um, they actually have at the beginning of each book of Psalms, book one, book two, book three, book four, book, book five, and you'll notice Psalm 107 to 150 is part of book five. So let me just show you the breakdown and why they've been broken down like this. The first set of psalms is um, focusing more on the, the lament. So if you're feeling really down in the dumps and you want to find a psalm that reflects your feeling, go to the first section, the first one, two or three book, books. Psalm 140, uh, psalm, one to psalm, one, uh, psalm 1 to Psalm 41 is the first book. The second book from Psalm 42 to 72, and the third book from Psalm 73 to Psalm 89. Then you've got a, a change. There's more lament than praise. It's not to say that there's no lament in the second section or no praise in the first section, but there's, there's more praise in the second section. And book four focuses on Psalm 90 to 106. And in this section, Psalm 107 to 150 is the last section, which reveals more of God's victory. Now, we, we know that it's broken into those sections, not because the NIV has very carefully written that for us, but because at the end of each section, remember I said, look for those breaks, look for the repetition in Psalms, and you'll see something coming through. So the end of each section 
you in Psalm 107, so just look at the back of back back one verse. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all people say Amen. And then it ends up with a Hebrew word that you know well. Praise the Lord. Hebrew? Hallelujah. Okay, so that's how that section ends. And if you go through each of those sections, you'll see at the end of each of the sections, it's got words. Psalm 41 verse 13. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and Amen. And so we've got these sections broken up, showing that the person who put all the Psalms together as a single book of five sections ends each, each section with the last one ascribing greatness and praise to God. When we get to Psalm 107, you'll also notice repetition. It takes us in a whirlwind tour of God's grace, his goodness to his people through the wilderness wanderings. It reflects a little bit on the, the conquest as they go into, into the promised land. Um, it speaks of specific instances, but we don't know much about the psalm. It would be so useful if we understood why the psalmist was writing it, the context. It gives us some understanding as to um, how deep his troubles were and how God saved him. But that, that's not given to us. We don't know much about the being chained or anything like that. But certain things we can pull out. And I'm going to pull out five sections in this psalm, and you'll see why I've chosen five sections. Um, the first one is God's provision. Look at the first nine verses. Um, they're homeless, they're without daily provision, but God supplies their need according to his wondrous kindness, his great providence. He intervenes, he steps into their lives. And it's because they cry out to him. Look through um, down to uh, verse 6. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Verse 7, he led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Now, we, we know that the Psalms are not just speaking to the Old Testament believers, they're speaking to us as well. And, and we should start to get an inkling that this isn't just speaking about, oh, they led them to New York. God's leading me to London. It's, it's not just, okay, God's leading me to a city. It speaks of something far more significant. If you can think of the Israelites wandering through the wilderness, they've just left Egypt. They weren't allowed in the major city where the Pharaoh was. They were shoved out because they were slaves. And then they left Egypt and they started wandering around in the desert. And their hope was to find a homeland. If you go back before they even got to Egypt, you remember the promises that God made to Abram. You're going to get into this land and I'm going to give you a, a wonderful uh, offspring. I'm going to give you magnificent land. This is the size of the land that's going to be there. But he was still wandering around. Abram, Isaac and Jacob, they, they still wandered around. Twelve sons of Jacob still wandered around. Now this promise comes, I'm going to give you a city. I'm going to let you settle down. So much that we associate with cities now is bad, but cities represented permanence. If you built yourself a city, you're probably there for a little while. 
Now, it's not just that God is going to say, I'm restoring Israel, whatever that means today. Our minds should jump further forward. And we should jump through to Hebrews chapter 12 or other verses, passages like this. But you have come, God says, to Mount Zion. He uses the name for Jerusalem. But he uses it in a spiritual sense. The writer to Israelites, the Hebrews, is saying, don't look for a semi-permanent city here. Look for the eternal city. You've come to the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. And so in this first stanza, God says he's going to supply our needs. He's a God of provision. He hears the cries. We're sick and tired of walking around. We're sick and tired of this existence that we've got here. So if it wasn't enough that God just provided their needs, you go down to verse 8 and 9. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. It's not just that he provides our daily bread as we pray, give us today our daily bread. He has the banquet. He has the feast. He has everything that we could possibly need. And he says, stop focusing on the things that will not satisfy He says to the woman at the well, Jesus says to the woman at the well, ask God and he will give you water that doesn't run out. Jesus says, I am the bread of life, not just enough to eat. I will give you in abundance. So we see he's a God of provision. Secondly, we also see that he's a um, God despite our perversion. We notice how the Israelites having received so much from God, then turn and go their own way. We all know it as human beings. We promise the Lord, this is the last time. I promise I'll never do that again. And yet we are perverted. We, 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 we go after the same things again and again and again. We mute the voices of our consciences. We silence the moral voices of the world. And in so doing, we... Cut off the Creator who gave us life. And the consequence is that we condemn ourselves to a life in a pit. It's a horrible life. It's a life that we, we don't like living. We've got these chains. We, we're prisoners. We are subjected to bitter labor. We stumble around. There's no help. Life becomes pointless. It's meaningless, as the, as the writer to Ecclesiastes says. We try everything to find a little bit of comfort, a little bit of satisfaction, a little bit of joy in this life, but as soon as we've got there, it just disappears. So we invest our money in good stocks and shares, and those flitter away. And we think if we just enjoy our lives, and life is here to be lived, and we live life and we live life and we live life and it just doesn't do it for us. We say, if only I had a decent relationship. This is what I'm longing for. If the Lord would just answer me by giving me somebody who understands me, somebody who knows me, if only my relationship healed, then everything will be okay. And even if that was restored, 
it's still not enough. We end up without satisfaction. We stumble in spiritual darkness, as it says here. There's no reprieve. Why do I divide the psalm up into five places? Into five sections? Because they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. Remember that was the verse we read just a little bit earlier, but it's repeated again. Again we cry out to the Lord and he hears. He brings them out of darkness and the deepest gloom breaks away their chains. And then this verse is repeated again. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfading love and the wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down gates of bonds and cuts through bars of iron. So in verse 8, let them give thanks to the Lord. Once again we've got verse 15, let them give thanks to the Lord. Even through our perversions. And if that was the last time we promised the Lord we would not do it again, there is a pattern. Verse 17 through verse 22. Some became fools though they, through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and they drew near the gates of death. Once again... They cried out to the Lord in their distress. Tim Keller uh, gave a really, really good sermon. If you get hold of it, get hold of it. It's called Sin Makes Us Addicts. We can look at anybody and we can say, Ah, oh, terrible. Have you seen how they've addicted and you've seen how they have repeated their offenses? But every single one of us is an addict. We've all got that sin that we go back to. For whatever reason. Maybe for no reason at all. And we repeat the failings of the past. It doesn't matter whether you're addicted to chocolate or coffee or drugs or drink or porn or physique or fear or food. The pattern is clear. Last time wasn't enough. We just want that a little bit more. Youngsters cut themselves nowadays. Apparently it gives them a little bit of a, a high, a little bit of a kick. Maybe they're looking for attention. And you'll know from a child who's looking for attention, they look for attention and so they're going to try, try the same trick that they tried last time. Except this time it's going to be exaggerated a little bit more because they just want a little bit more attention. And you get used to that and then they just up the ante. Somebody cuts himself, it's not enough just once, it's twice, it's a number of times. It's deeper, it's more severe. Somebody who has pres prescription drugs, it's not the same old prescription drug with the same old number of tablets that they take. It's got to be more, it's got to be excessive. Murderers feel less for their victims as their acts become more numerous and they become less sensitive. Those addict, addicted to drink or porn are less aware of the danger that they do to themselves and what's more, they do, do a whole lot of disservice to those around them and they drift away from God. Some became fools through their rebellious ways. They suffered affliction because of their iniquities. 
this pattern is repeated. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love because he sent out his word and he rescues them. Okay, so I pushed the outline a little bit further. Okay, we had provision, perversion, pattern, pulverized. That's the only word I could find that began with a P. So I threw it in and I thought, you're going to be so thrown with this word, you're going to remember pulverized more than you'll remember any other word in this whole system. So there it is, pulverized. We are beaten, we are battered, we are bruised. We're broken. We can't take it anymore. As if our sin hasn't laid us low. As if being in the depth of our pit wasn't bad enough. Now we are absolutely ruined. Because of our rebellion and disobedience. It's not just tragedies that knock us off balance. It's not just the things outside of our bodies and outside of our lives that happen. It's ourselves. And when we're battered by the storms of life, as we sang earlier, and bruised due to the hurt of others, we still can come to God. Once again, we must turn to the Lord. And so we read, sorry, we, where are we, verse 23 to 31. Um, we read that we must exalt him in the assembly of the people, in the council of the elders, because of his unfailing love. The last section doesn't end with the same sort of set of the same stanza, the same set of words. The last section brings us to a section of peace, and that's from verse 40, uh, 33 to 43. It's the assurance that with God, nothing is out of control. Nothing. We've gone through the worst part and nothing is out of control. The agriculture is in the hands of the Lord. He looks after our lands. And he brought the hungry to live where they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields, planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. Their numbers increased, their herds increased, everything was good. He lifted up the needy, he lifted up the needy out of their affliction, increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but the wicked shut their mouths. So those are the five sections. But my series is really about Christ. How does Christ fit into all of this? Well, thanks to sermon last week, you know how Christ fits into it. I deliberately left it out so that you wouldn't get the hint, but uh, it's been preached. So we've got to understand that it's, it's for the righteous. It's not for people who rebel and carry on going their own way and have no interest in coming back to God, but they've just got this token, Lord, forgive me for I've sinned, and they carry on. This is for the redeemed. So if we go right back to the first verse, it helps us understand. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. 
So immediately our mind is not just for anybody who says sorry, but they don't really mean it. It's the redeemed, those he brought from faraway lands. Those he takes from a desert wasteland to productive farms. Those he has given everything that they would settle in comfort. Now they settle in comfort ought to help us understand that, that it's speaking about something great. It's speaking about the new heavens and the new earth. It speaks about those who God rescues from the grave, verse 20. So we pointed to something far more than just temporary relief. And if I were just to say, oh well, just come to the Lord and he's going to set everything right. And you've always wanted to be a farmer and he's going to give you this wonderful farm where nobody comes and settles on your farm. And you're going to yield, uh, you're going to get the full yield of all the crops and they're not going to be anybody who comes and steals your herds. That's not what the psalm is speaking about. It's looking back and saying, that is how the Lord has dealt with me. I will trust him for whatever lies ahead. And as you start to look at the psalm with New Testament eyes, you'll see that he calls people from all corners of the globe. Now That's significant because that immediately picks our eyes up off Israel. If this was just speaking about the redeemed Israel who came from Egypt, then they weren't gathered from the north and the south and the east and the west. They were gathered from Egypt, from the south. If it's speaking about ex- the post-exilic, the, the Israel after the exile, it would say he gathered them from the east and a couple from the south who went to Egypt. Not from the north, south, east, and west. So this is speaking spiritually of a land that Jesus is bringing together. And he's bringing them from every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. He's bringing them from the four corners of the earth. If you brought Israelites back from the west and you're speaking about physical Israel, then they're coming from the Mediterranean or some... some, You you must see this in in the context of God gathering all his people... From every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. And he's the God of provision. Where he says he'll look after us, he means he will look after us. We don't have to fear that the mountains move and the earth gives way. There is a city whose foundations are firm. God of provision. We know what it's like to be saved when we come to terms with our own perversion, our own character. When there's real doom and real darkness, God says that's nothing compared to the doom and the darkness in your own heart. Being chained is nothing like being so captivated by sin that there is no release. And it's only God who can break those shackles. Because we're perverted, we're locked into sin unless we come to Christ. And then there's only relief in the unfailing love which brings elation and bliss. We've gone our own way. We think we can be our own saviour. We've done things where we say, I don't need God. I can cope with this one. And at times, God has chained us to our wickedness And the wickedness of our generation. So that we cry out to him. 
said earlier in the service, the reason why we focus on sin and make us realize that sin is so severe is because we don't really appreciate the intense love of Jesus unless we see the enormity of our sin. God has poured out His love in us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we then we can truly say, um, in, in verse 13 and 14, Then I cried to the Lord in my trouble, and He saved me from my distress. He brought me out of darkness and brought me from the deepest gloom. He broke my chains. And you would expect that to break the pattern. But no, we go there again. It's like me with chocolate. It's a light and irrelevant illustration, I suppose. But I take one piece of chocolate and I think, now that I've got a taste, I know what chocolate is like. I don't need another piece. Oh yes, but I do. I need one more piece. And then just a row. They just have two rows. Two rows, half a bar, half a bar, one bar. I'm sure I had another bar somewhere around. I just need, need a little bit more sweetness. That's what my sin's like. Were it not for the Lord who came and sought me and pursued me and never gave up on me, I would never grow in grace. Then I cried to the Lord in my trouble. Saved me from my distress. And he sent forth his word and he healed me. He rescued me from the grave. That's what it is. It's not just saying, Dear John, you've tripped. Brush yourself off. You're okay. Just need a little bit of a shine every now and so often, and then you'll be a good minister. It's not just that I've fallen and broken a couple of bones. It's that I'm wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. And I need the soul that Jesus gives me. I feel like those, those disciples who were pulverized. Each of us has to come to a point where we say so far and no further. And the only time we get to that point is when we're at the bottom of the barrel. We've got to reach the bottom in order to seriously cry out to Jesus. It's only when we're, in the, when we're unable to save ourselves that we cry for help. You know what it's like when those clouds start building? You don't need a weather app to say, guess what, there's a thunderstorm coming. You don't need the weather app to say, there's a hailstorm coming. You can see those clouds that are heavy and thick. And you know it's coming. Everybody climbs into their cars and quickly parks it in the garage because the, you know that a hailstorm is coming. Those disciples on the Sea of Galilee knew what a storm was. They could see the clouds building up. When was it that they came to Jesus and said, Lord, save us? Not when they saw the clouds. You know, we've been through the storm before. It's okay. It's rough. 
We're prepared to get a little bit sick. We'll bail the water. That's fine. It's, it's okay. We're in control. Let the Lord sleep. It's okay, Lord. We got this one. Um, we're the sailors. You're the carpenter. Just, we've got it. Aren't we like that with our sin? Lord, I got this one. Yeah, I know what it's like. I've been through it before. Yeah, we've been strong together. I've come through. But Jesus just proved to them that no matter how much they thought they were in control, they had to depend on him. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Verse 28. He brought them out of this distress. He stilled the storm to whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. And they were glad when it grew calm. And he guided them to their desired haven. Where are you? Are you in the boat with the clouds far off? Or maybe you're there in the midst of the storm. And you ought to be saying, Lord, never, never, never again. I'm not going down there. I can't afford to go down there again. Lord, I give thanks to you for your unfailing love and your wonderful deeds for men. I'm going to end the service in a different way today. We're going to end in total silence. It's not about me closing the service and everybody having a good time. It's about you and God. You working this out with the Lord. I don't know what your particular distress is. I don't know what your particular sin is. I don't know where you are as an individual, but it's you and God now. You've gone through the cycle. You've repeated your perversion. The pattern is there. You know the provision of the Lord.